Good morning, Northern Hills Church. It's great to be with you here this morning. My name is Brandon, and I'm part of the teaching team. I want to welcome all of you that are here in person and those, of course, that are joining us online as well. Happy Memorial Day weekend. And we're going to start this morning with a true story, a true story about a precocious 13-year-old who felt like he had to have a specific question answered by his pastor. And so we begin the story with this intriguing 13-year-old, and he asks his pastor the question, if I raise my finger, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise even before I raise it? You see, this 13-year-old, his name is Steve, attended church every week with his parents. And this particular Sunday, he wanted to stay after the worship service to ask his pastor this pressing question. And the pastor simply replied, well, yes, Steve, God knows everything. But Steve was haunted. He was haunted by what African children were suffering from dire famine. And so he pulled out a magazine cover he had connected with, and it was depicting two children that were tormented by starvation. He asked what would be a logical follow-up question to the pastor, and he said, well, does God know about this? And what's going to happen to these kids? And the pastor gave a similar response, looking at Steve. He said, I know you don't understand this. I know you don't fully grasp. But yes, God knows about that as well. And if you were Steve, and knowing the way you're wired, knowing the way you think through things, and the way you take answers that are given to you, would you have been satisfied with the pastor's answer to that question to those questions because Steve wasn't. And so he walked out of the congregation that day and never again would he worship at a Christian church. Now the good, I would say even remarkable news is that Steve was drawn to his faith community, to this pastor specifically for answers to the the dilemmas that he was struggling through, that he was most troubled about. But the bad and even tragic news is that the pastor's short-sighted answer repelled him from the faith community permanently. He would never come back. Even more disheartening is that the pastor failed to grasp what was the question behind the question for Steve. See, Steve wasn't merely asking this existential question about the nature of suffering. Likely, his, his question was revolving around his personal questions he had about his own life and faith. Steve was a 13-year-old, so that included being at school. It included financial struggles at home, and most painfully being relinquished by his, uh, by his birth parents. You see, Steve was adopted. And so Steve wasn't just trying to make sense of the pain of those African children and their starvation. He was trying to make sense of his own pain. And we're going to come back to Steve just a bit later. But over the past couple weeks here at Northern Hills Church, we have been rallying around a truth that the data just proves. That children, that teenagers, that our sphere of influence with young people It is the greatest mission field that any of us have here on planet Earth. We've all been challenged over the past couple weeks to consider the best, that the best kingdom investment is in the lives of a young person. That the best way we could impact this generation, future generations, for God's purposes is through the generation that's coming up. 
And we've talked about how it won't matter how good our church services are, how good the music is, how good our programs we offer people are, or, or the way we have a great online presence or not. If we lose kids, we lose. And so as we were diving into this Raise Them Up teaching series, we believe God just leading out in this rally cry for all of us that things need to change and that it starts with us. It starts with Northern Hills Church looking at ourselves to start raising up the next generation to be these Christ-centered world changers. And Pastor Brian, over the first two weeks, has been really clear. This isn't blatantly a parent series. This is all of us, all in, looking at how we can be committed to changing a culture through our young people for Jesus. And of course, we've been challenged to look at that through the lens of Scripture. Even just last week, what would it look like to raise modern-day Daniels as we consider their role within culture? And not in a defensive posture, but very much in an offensive posture that they would just be so dedicated to their walks with Christ, unwavering because they know how much Christ is using them for their lives. And so I wanted to talk a little bit more about that training this morning. I wanted to talk about that training from a a different perspective because when we think of training, many of us that grew up in the church, we're familiar with a proverb that ties into that training. It's Proverbs 22.6. And this is one of the best known passages in scripture that really speaks to the nurturing growth of a young person. But while it's one of our best-known passages, if you grew up in the church, it's also one of our most misunderstood. Now, here's what it says, Proverbs 22, 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And classic interpretations of this proverb go something like this. Be sure that your kids attend Sunday school. Be sure you're dropping them off and that they're going to get Jesus regularly. Teach your children to know and to obey the Ten Commandments. Teach them to pray at bedtime, at mealtime, and in emergencies. Do this early on because watch out, teenage rebellion is a real thing. And when they become teenagers, they may detour from their spiritual journey. Maybe beyond, they will detour. And when that fling is over, they will return back to God. You can count on it because this proverb has God's promise on it. And that classic interpretation, it actually comes with two strikes. Two strikes are against this because the first strike is that this doesn't hold for us experientially when it comes to raising our young people. Now, some of our stories, our young people have rebelled and returned, but there's no guarantees, are there? We also have stories where people have rebelled against God and we are still waiting for them to return to come back to God. Or maybe they have verbally communicated to one of us, each of us, that they're not returning whatsoever. There are no guarantees. Now, I'm gonna share that there was a time when I was an expert on raising up and training up young people. 
I was in student ministry for 10 years. The Lord afforded me an opportunity to sort of beat the curve as it related to investing in the lives of young middle schooler and high school students. And so you, around my tenure, it was about two or three years. And again, I got past that curve having so many great years. And I had all the answers for parents on how to do it because there was nothing that was going to sway me from how to train up a child in the way that they should go because I knew through all of my study, through all of my experiential with young people, what was best for young people. And then I had children. (laughs) And now I'm the individual that's on other parents' couches seeking wisdom, discernment, and help on how to raise my young guys, right? Many of us have been to the church service or we've been to the church program, maybe even actually just a rec center center class on how to raise up young people. And I tease these because I've led some of these classes, but remember the the teaching series you were part of or the workshop you've been involved with, and it's like 10 rules for raising godly kids, as if 10 would only, you know, be the only amount we needed to raise godly kids. And then we tweak it a little bit, because that may sound a little too grandiose, 10 rules for raising good kids. And so we take the God piece out of that, and then we keep changing it. The tweak continues. Five principles for just raising kids. That's all we need. Just give us five. doesn't need to be ten, and I don't even care about the good or godly, just raising kids until it gets to a point where there's three suggestions for surviving life with a young person in your care, (laughs) right? That's where we get to. It gets less and less emphatic and confident because experientially nothing's guaranteed, Experientially, we know this, that there are no guarantees. Joe and Jill can be very godly parents. Joe and Jill go to church regularly, and they've raised their children in the church. They have three, and they've raised them to be good examples. Uh, they, they themselves are Christ followers, and so they're modeling what it means to follow Christ. They read the Bible with them. They pray with them, all of it. And two of their grown children are now Christ followers, and they seem to be doing well in their Christian walk, but one of their children has walked away from God. They've turned completely from God. And so Joe and Jill look at Proverbs 22, 6, and if this proverb has that classic interpretation to it, they feel guilt. They see that their wayward child as really being proof of just failing as a parent. So the first strike against that classic interpretation of this 10-step or five-principle method of prayer, Bible, Sunday school, it falls flat with our experience. It doesn't doesn't match with with what we know experientially. And it's not to say that those things aren't good. We're going to talk a lot about that even next week, how those things institute something in a child's life. They're, They're an imprint when we're getting into the Word and when we pray with them and when we are part of their their community that loves Jesus. In the life of a young person, God is doing something in their heart in those moments, but that's not what this specific proverb is talking about, as much as we want to make it speak to that, which leads me to the second strike against that is that this is a proverb, and a proverb is a how-to manual. We, 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 we negate, when we, we make it a how-to manual, excuse me, we negate the idea that it's really a colorful, intricate word picture that's from a Hebrew poet. See, Proverbs is Hebrew poetry. It's made up of illusion and metaphors, and it's this wisdom literature. A proverb means to be like. And so this book is full of comparisons between common things and complicated and abstract things. The nature of a proverb is for us to read it 
and then scratch our head and be like, hmm, I wonder what that's saying. And then we puzzle that out and we think that through. Take this proverb. It's just a chapter before our text today, Proverbs 21.9. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And some of you guys, you're starting to think, hmm, and you're pondering, maybe I need to move to the attic and officially live there. And some of your wives are completely fine with that. That's exactly what you should be doing, right? Like, it's for us to, to ponder because Proverbs are divine guidelines and, and observations, wise observations that we look at. It's saying how life can generally work. What usually happens, but like even looking at that proverb, it's not challenging the reader. It's not licensed to leave your wife. It's challenging the reader how to bring more harmony to that specific living situation, even if that means giving some space to the quarrel. See, if we were to just look at Proverbs as this how-to manual, we would think that a lot of things are way unpopular, way unfair, because Proverbs, the righteous aren't always honored. The wicked sometimes succeed. The diligent can lose it all. The lazy seem to strike it rich at times. These are principles, not promises. God's promises are absolute. It's a done deal. You can take it to the bank. So let's look at the proverb today. Let's really look at what it's saying as it guides us to raising and training up young people. The verse starts out with, train up a child. And the word train has three ideas that are associated with it. The first idea is to dedicate. Train means to dedicate. And that word dedication, it's used three other times in Scripture, and it's in reference to houses or buildings. It's this idea of providing this dedication or, or to inaugurate some space. It's like almost a consecration of our children. And the idea is in what you build, you're setting a trajectory, pointing them on a right path, a right direction, getting them started in the things that are best for them. I love that's why our church is so following God's leading in launching this Hills Academy and all the energy that's around that. It's under God's directing, this world-class Christian early education center. Pastor Brian has a few more updates for us. They're just so exciting to see what God's up to. But there's a responsibility we have as a church to set that trajectory, to point our children in the right direction. So when that academy is fully running, there's going to be young people that are able to look back and know that there were people that dedicated a place for them to start that journey of growth and development. Now, the second idea associated with the word train is to adjust, to adjust. And, and when we train our young people, we are adjusting to the children, teenagers that God puts in our path. That language used here is this idea that's um, adjusting to, it's closely related to basically how you would adjust a horse. Now, how do we do that? You horse lovers know this. Picture a horse's bridle which is subduing the horse for the purpose of what? For the purpose of directing its natural energies, which are what? For a horse to run. That's how God's made a horse, to, to run. And because that's what God's design is, that's his created purpose for a horse. But what that bridle does is it subdues that without breaking the horse's spirit. See, a wise carrying rider, he'll, he or she will use the bits and reins to help that horse achieve its purpose, guide it, in safety 
and, be, and being more effective for the run it's supposed to have. See, one of the greatest ways we can adjust, one of the greatest ways we can adjust to young people, help direct them and not break their spirit, is to have empathy, is to have empathy towards our young people. If you're writing uh, any notes down this morning, take this one down. Empathy is the willingness to go to the hard places with young people. And where did we start this morning? Just looking at Steve. Just looking at Steve and his life, trying to make sense of the pain in the world and digging deeper, really looking into his own personal pain in the world that he was experiencing. And you may know Steve. His last name was Jobs. And Steve Jobs was this co-founder, chairman, and CEO of Apple, yes, but he was a church-going teenager who wrestled with big questions. And there were people that failed to understand what he was really asking. They lacked empathy, the willingness to go to the hard place with him. Imagine for a moment if Steve had been greeted by a different answer a different answer from his pastor, one that was on a ramp to a deeper conversation, a deeper discussion about faith, instead of where Steve really feel, felt like he ended up in a conversational dead end. Imagine for a moment if they acknowledged Steve's question by saying, you know what, something's going on. He has a deeper question with his life goals. I wonder what lights Steve's heart up. I wonder where he sees himself in the future. And what if that pastor simply replied to that 13-year-old, you know what, Steve? That's a fascinating question you have. It's a series of fascinating questions you have. Why don't we go grab a bite to eat? And you know what? Let's invite your dad to that conversation as well. I'd love to chew on all the things you're asking. Imagine if Steve's parents had been attentive enough to just really dig into the discussion themselves with Steve. Or if any adult had just been willing to hit that conversational ball over the net. Instead of what it seemed like for Steve is as he hit it over the net, it was just slowly dribbling off the court. Imagine for a moment if Steve had his questions taken seriously about his faith about where he was seeing God in the grand scheme of things, and that faith community would, would come around him. My guess is that that business brilliance that Steve Jobs had wouldn't just go into furthering high-tech interfaces, but it would have gone into furthering the gospel, to mobilizing others that needed to respond globally to many more needs. But unfortunately, no adult answered his difficult questions convincingly. No adult peered under the hood of his words to understand the inner workings of how Steve was made. And like so many young people today, he left the church. More importantly, he left his faith. He left his faith community. I'm not telling us anything we don't know. We, we know what empathy looks like, true empathy looks like. And it doesn't promote, uh, or excuse me, it doesn't patronize people. True empathy doesn't look like that. It also has no level of judgmentalism in it. Sometimes our judgmentalism can leak into a conversation with a young person where we're trying to give in that little dig and say, well, you know, I, I know this is going to be a helpful suggestion to them in the long run. So if you would stop playing so many video games and maybe giving a hand around the house here, that's not what true empathy does. Because true empathy means that we look at young people and we, we navigate what they're feeling what their worldview is and how they see it. It's an effort to understand the way they do things and why they do things that way. 
It might look different than the way we grew up. It might look different than the way we see the world. It's celebrating their dreams. It's grieving over their despair. And when we adjust to them, adjust to their worldview by extending that empathy, they begin to mature. They begin to see that someone's for them, that someone sees the world as they see them, even if it means just listening to their point of view. So it starts guiding their behavior. To train is to adjust to a young person. The last idea associated with training is to introduce. And this, I believe, is such a key component because the idea is introducing them to the core of what it means to be human. And when we do that, the core of what it means to be human is asking some very key questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference do I make? Because these three questions, they're not simply trying to force feed biblical principles into a young person, but what they do is they create an appetite for the Bible. They create an appetite to know God and know God's ways. It's stimulating that appetite for spiritual things because look at the first question, who am I? That's a question you and I ask at times in our lives. We're trying to figure out our identity And when a child or teenager is asking that question, they're holding up a mirror. They're saying, who am I? Where do I fit? That second question has everything to do with belonging. It has everything to do with the sense of a young person looking at the quantity and the quality of the relationships that surround them. What difference do I make? Wow, that's about purpose, isn't it? What difference do I make? A young person was built by God to impact others, to engage in meaningful experiences. Even if they don't know that, they have a purpose. And that's what we need to know is that these questions, they're they're being asked by this generation, but we know this, it's it's cross-generational. This is for every generation where individuals are asking the question of who am I and where do I fit and what difference do I make? But we would be wise to remember We've spoke about this for weeks now, that this generation's journey towards identity, belonging, and purpose, it starts earlier. It starts so much earlier for them, especially in our culture today. So when we say train up a child, we're introducing them to something that's core to them. And that question around identity is answered through God's word. It's answered through the power of the gospel because when I look at God's grace, that answers identity. And God's grace is that he sent his one and only son to die for each of us, that he would pay the price for each of our sins, that he would wear the weight of everything that was sin and give us freedom in Jesus. So our identity is in that work. Our identity is that we're sons and daughters of the most high king. The answer to that question of belonging That unconditional love and community, that's the church. That's us. That's us online and us here today. It's belonging to that kind of community, people that are are coming alongside me in my journey, and that's what they're craving. Where do I fit? And we speak life into where they fit because of the love of the local church, not a building, but a people. And, of course, that hunger for a young person's ability to contribute, to have purpose and meaning. It's just finding our place in God's story, that each of us have a story, and it's powerful, and God is wanting us to be involved in his mission, his story, through our story, which helps us connect to the second part of this scripture. Check this out. Train up a child 
in the way he should go. Now, this is part of the proverb that is probably the most debated phrase. The word way can refer to a literal way, such as a road, or it can be less literal. And it can have this sort of manner of how something acts. A proverb uh, in uh, chapter 30, verses 18 through 19, there are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a young woman. Now, when you look at these terms, these ways, they're referring to a characteristic manner, snake on a rock, man with a young woman. And I believe to be the same with Proverbs 22, 6. We are to train a child according to his or her characteristic manner to their way. Because when we do that, we're helping shape a child's view of their part of God's story who God's made them to be. When it comes to our young people, we know this. Some are going to be artistic, and some are going to be athletic. Some are going to be academic. There's going to be some that are strong-willed and others compliant. I have a strong-willed and a compliant in my life, in my kids, but we all know of someone in our sphere that's like that. One child's going to be encouraged maybe by rewards or recognition, and then we know another child or young person that they couldn't care, they couldn't care less about that. All of our kids, our young people are different, and we have an opportunity to influence the life of a young person and not just to have this lump of clay that be, that's to be molded in the way we see them, but the way God sees them, the way God's made them, and then leaning into that, this unique, distinctive person with a destiny. See, there are some really smart people, one, one his, uh, named Chuck Swindoll, an author, a teacher, a pastor. He compares a child to a wooden bow, that the bend of that bow, if you don't bend it correctly, you risk breaking the bow. And another way to say that is when we train a child according to their bend, we're training them in the way God has bent them, the way he's given their unique personality and giftedness. So God is writing this unique story, not in just our young people, in all of us. And we need to find what that story is because one size doesn't fit all when it comes to raising young people. How has God made them? This one-of-a-kind individual that we can look at and and then train them up. And I love this, the end of Proverbs 22, 6, because when a young person is guided to the way God has made them, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. He won't depart from it. There are two people that I believe are just doing this so well right now and what God's called them to. And we're going to spend some time getting to hear their story a little bit. Would you help me welcome Steve and Lori Price up to the stage this morning? We're going to get to hear their story. Give them a hearty Northern Hills welcome up here. Welcome, you two. Thank you for being here. We know that you guys are tutoring. And you've been tutoring for a good chunk of your life. So just share a little bit about that journey that's brought you from Arvada to here. You bet. A little background. Uh, We grew up in Arvada. Uh, We're retired now. But we were living on the south side of town. And um, uh, Lori was a teacher. She taught uh, special ed and learning uh, disability disability kids and I was in business 
And, but I, while I was there, I loved coaching, so I coached my sons probably too much. Uh, but I loved coaching. And she's the teacher. And so uh, we had an opportunity at the church we were going to. We were attending on the south side uh, in Highlands Ranch uh, to mentor uh, kids from Sudan, Africa. And there were, started out with one family, then two families, then up to four families, which ended up being a lot of kids. And so over the years, uh, over 20 years, we, uh, we mentored those kids. And we just had one graduate from high school again. We've helped get all of them through high school and one more uh, at Smoky Hill. So we moved out here and we really thought that, uh, boy, we hope there'd be an opportunity to extend our mentoring uh, opportunities to, uh, uh, we figured in Brighton, we went, both went to UNC and so we went through Brighton and we saw that there might be a lot of needs and maybe there's an opportunity and, and uh, lo and behold, we found this through Spencer here, uh, Lori uh, talked to him and, and there's this uh, tutoring program that was uh, uh, being done at Brighton Housing Authority, which is a privately owned uh, company uh, that uh, caters to the low income and elderly. And so uh, they needed some people or they needed somebody. So we decided to, to sign up and, and go do it. Well, when we got there, there was only one child. And that child, uh, you know, he, I have to hand it to him. He showed up every week. But, you know, again, the tutoring part there probably wasn't, uh, 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 it wasn't as effective. And they couldn't get more kids. And if you know Brighton Housing, it's on Main Street. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's, you know, it's a tough area. Uh, we were introduced week one with uh, 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 one gentleman shouting profanities out a window. We've had a drug overdose. We saw, uh, we heard of a person dying just a few weeks ago of a drug overdose. We had the police there where uh, a uh, uh, teenager was beating up his, uh, his uh, stepfather. Uh, so those are the kind of things that we were getting into and, and have been in. And, and yet in there, there's a lot of great kids. And so what we, uh, what we wanted to do is uh, uh, Lori uh, was so good at teaching uh, and, uh, as she was doing the, the uh, years of teaching the masterpiece, that every kid is a masterpiece. So what we wanted to do is instead of, uh, you know, just well, we thought maybe we'd do more than tutoring. We'd go outside, play basketball with them and whatever. What ended up happening is, is yeah, they'll do some of that, but it's the art mm-hmm. and, and uh, the different projects that uh, Lori's so good at. And so what we did is we began every week looking at what they were good at and as far as art, painting rocks, whatever it might be, and, and these kids have really gotten into it. And so we were there every Tuesday uh, from 4.30 to 6, and in the summer now we'll be uh, 11 to 1, and this is completing one full year. We started out with one, and we have about 14 kids, and now we'll be recruiting again. There's so many kids there that won't come out, uh, and we hope that uh, uh, we'll be able to attract, you know, who. I don't know how many more, but we're ready to take them on. But yes. it's, uh, again, instead of tutoring, it's, uh, it's mentoring. That's great. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Now, you mentioned how, again, one child of 14 children now. Um, and a lot of their stories, again, are really impacted by poverty. Again, uh, young, young men and women that are growing up without a father. Um, can you paint that picture for us a little bit? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, well, we have one family um, we've gotten to know 
really well. And um, so grandma is raising these three boys on her own, her three grandchildren. And um, when we would go over to their apartment, we noticed they didn't have any beds. They were sleeping on mattresses on the floor. So through Pastor John and our neighborhood, we were able to get them with some, with beds. Uh, we still need one more for Grandma, if anybody out there has a queen-size bed. Um, and then just a lot of, like Steve had mentioned, some domestic violence and drug overdoses and that kind of thing. So a lot of oppression. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Well, one of the things that really, again, the way this was stated just sort of brought shock and awe to me is the idea that we have hopes, again, and dreams for our young people in so many uh, ways. Um, and they, of course, do for them, their own personal lives. However, they're not just looking at the future. They're just trying to survive today. Um, so when it looks like your interaction with them, some of the things we were talking about this morning and train a child in the way that they shall go according to their bend, right? According to their bent. How have you interacted with some of the young people just seeing how God's made them? What are the stories that have come out that God's sharing um, with you that's impacted you of how he's made one of those kiddos? So we talked to the kids and we about how they're a masterpiece created by God and each one Love of that. them has had a, God gives them each a specific gift to use for him to, in their community or to change the world. And so through the art and the games that we've played, we have seen specific gifts in each of the kids. And so we'll talk about it. Like, Johnny, you are an amazing artist. You know what you can do with that. And Mary, you have an amazing memory for things. And just trying to go each individual kid and really pick out their gifts. And yeah. yeah. Also, being the competitive person I am, I, we play <laughs> games and I always have to win. And so now I get all these kids, you know, kind of getting together and making sure they can beat Stevens, whatever it might be. So it, it becomes quite the deal. But I do that because they don't really understand, you know, the competitiveness. Not that you have to be win-lose. It's just that they don't see much of a future for themselves. And so what we do with the masterpiece uh, uh, part is that uh, Lori can really uh, help build their confidence that they're special and and God has a special plan for them. And the uh, competitiveness is that they'll look forward. Uh, so it'll be fun another summer. They all want to beat me in whatever it is, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> That's great. Well, I guess just to close, uh, would you be willing to just share some last words of encouragement? I know, I know there's just people that have been impacted as we've been talking about this now for three weeks and feeling like, oh, what do I do to, maybe I, I know the Lord's nudging, I know I can maybe step over that line in faith. What would your words be and just how God's impacted you through these experiences? When, uh, was it two years ago, we heard about the uh, uh, tutoring program with East Elementary, which is now combined with Northeast and how Northern Hills was involved with that, which was really, really special. We took a look at that and then of course COVID came. Um, and so we really, um, uh, we, we were kind of looking for more of a mentoring, not that the tutoring and it's very, very important. And, and if any of you are doing it, and I know there's quite a few, stay with it, please. And if you're not tutoring over at Northeast, consider it. Um, but I was looking more for a mentoring deal because I, I think that's more my strength than I think Lori's strength. And so um, by you know, looking and, and doing that, we really found that there's um, incredible opportunity. But when you mentor, you really have to be there and be consistent. And 
you can make a huge difference in, in a kid's life. And we pretty much uh, cater to the first, first uh, through fourth grade, fifth grade maybe. The teenagers are very difficult to get. And I pray for them and hope the best, you know, all the time because they're, they just, they, they're harder to reach. And, and so we got to get these kids younger. And as Brian, Pastor Brian spoke a couple weeks ago, the age of reaching these kids mm. to, to have to believe uh, uh, in Jesus is, is amazing. It's low. It's a low age. And it, it's shown up there. And what's been exciting is through mentoring or even tutoring to get to mentoring. Uh, we started off a year ago just talking about God and his masterpiece and their masterpiece. Last week, um, Lori got uh, WWJD bracelets. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking more about Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They barely know. And as we just sort of keep working it, now we're only a year and we want to keep it going, but they couldn't wait to get these WWJD bracelets on. So that was really cool. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I want to thank you guys so much uh, for, again, coming today, just being able to share your hearts, and again, consistency. Thank you for being faithful and consistent to the thing God's called you way back from our bad to now as well. It's a blessing uh, to hear from you guys. Thanks for sharing today. Let's thank these guys one more time for being up here with us this morning. Yeah, I love that. Um, It's interesting, friends, like... When we hear about this understanding identity, understanding belonging and purpose with a young person, I think there's so much that comes across that that can be intimidating, rough waters to be in with our young people because, like, what do I have to offer? What do I have to give? I think Steve and Lori are such a great example of just availability, the power of presence, the power of letting our yeses be our yeses and our noes our noes, that consistency that's in the life of a young person. See, training up young people in the, again, rough waters, the waves they're navigating, I think we've been really challenged, all of us here, through God's word, through the opportunities that he's presenting us with as a church. Are we gonna stay in the shallow end or are we gonna go into the deep waters with these young people? Are we going to look at what our opportunities that God's presenting us with as something that we can step in in faith and trust God? Or are we going to fear and make up a lot of maybe, maybe even important excuses that we're trying to just navigate the legality of things and, and the importance of watching our, our P's and Q's, right? But see, young people don't need a seminary grad. They don't need an individual that has Genesis through Revelation memorized. They need someone that's willing to be honest with them. And as you go into the rough waters and maybe some of the Steve Jobs rough, difficult questions, you're real. And you're not posing. And you're just ready to do life with them. And so those, those shallow waters, if we're to get into the rough waters, we need to be asking ourselves, what's the one quality relationship I have with a young person in my life? And that may be a niece. That may be a neighbor. That may be someone you coach. That may be that teenager barista that's working at your favorite coffee shop that you are there pretty much consistently and you're just checking in on. Northern Hills Church, again, we have so many opportunities, not just with Brighton Housing Authority, but with Northeast Elementary. We have opportunities even here 
on a Sunday morning where individuals are being introduced to Jesus every Sunday in our Foundry Children's Ministry and our Icon Student Ministry. And it's faithful people, it's consistent people that are just popping in and doing life with a young person, introducing them to who God's made them to be, training them according to their bend, to be this, this force in the world that's going to be a world changer. And investing in that way, doing what Stephen Laurie are doing, there's no greater privilege. There's no greater opportunity. So maybe we need to start worrying about less about what we don't have and start believing what we do have. What God has given each of us through the power of his Holy Spirit that dwells in us to be just available and be a presence, diving deeper with one young person into their rough waters. I have a quote. It's from a young person that offers such great perspective on how it doesn't need to be so, so made up into our mind's eye of what needs to be accomplished to be in the life of a young person. He says, I grew up in a fatherless home, and so I never saw, I never saw what a biblical dad looked like But a man in my church invited me to spend time with him and I was able to watch him. I watched how he loved his wife. I watched how he loved his children. And I feel like I can go to him and share my struggles with him. The way he loves me for who I am gives me a picture of what God says I am. Friends, that's our opportunity. Trusting in the Lord to guide our path into a young person's life. And so I ask that you would just pray with me and let's ask God to come in and reveal that name, reveal that face of who we're supposed to trust him as we step out in faith. Father, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for Stephen Laurie and their story and the impact they've made through years of just moving from tutoring to mentoring a young person. They're not their fathers. They're not their mothers. But they are seen as an individual, an adult that is consistent in their life, pointing them to the way, God, you have made them because they recognize the artist. They recognize the athlete. They recognize the academic. And they're just being available to that. And so, Lord... I know there's a name. I know there's someone that you've impressed on each of our hearts to give more time to outside of our own children, just to invest in, Lord. And so we ask by the power of your spirit that's living in us and all of those things that they're asking under identity and purpose and where do I fit, Lord, that you would just help us just be available to them to help shape and guide in what you've created and made them to be. Lord, we're going to trust you with the results. We're going to trust you to go before us. We're going to trust that you are going to transform a heart and a life. But Lord, we are making ourselves available to that person, that he, that she that you have called us to. And God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. And thank you that you love us as children, that you are training us up in the way that we should go and that your great love is helping us not to depart from that very thing. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in your great name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.